Hello and welcome to another episode of Season of the Witch with Rowan Oaken, the show where we spill some tea on the occult and read the leads to filth. I'm your host Rowan and in this week's episode we are talking all about mountains and mountain witchery because it's a witchy podcast. Um, those of you who keep in touch on social media may have noticed a bit of absence for a few weeks but you know why you know why you know why there's been absence because i've been posting i've been off and up in the welsh mountains in the snowdonia national park where i get zero phone service to speak of um do you know what i recorded this very episode this episode you are listening to right now um is a second iteration it's a sequel. I recorded the original one up in the mountains and I listened to the audio back and it was abominable. And I didn't have my fancy mic and I was, you know, I was feeling my witchy oats and I was saying to myself, I'm going to go to the mountains. I'm going to record the audio and you'll hear the lush sounds of the babbling brook. Uh, the ravens. Talking of ravens. Talking of ravens. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna. I'm gonna come back to the ravens in a minute. Um, what happened was the audio was shite. It was windy. It was rainy. I listened to it back, and you couldn't hear what I was saying. So I thought, you know, I'm gonna have to record the whole thing again. So you're getting another go at this. Um, they do normally say the sequels are not as good as the originals, or is that the remakes? Either way, um, ex- I think this this will be in polished perfection. I mentioned ravens. I want to go back to the ravens. <laughs> okay. Um, I, in last week's episode, I say last week's episode, it's quite a few weeks ago now, there was, um, there was this kind of Scottish rhyme or a Scottish, a thing that you said around Lunasar when you kind of ate your bread or cake or something and you threw it behind you. And one of the things that you said <laughs> was, and one of the lines that you're supposed to say was, um, there to the ravens, spare my kids. Now, my dumb ass, not even thinking, read this as like children, as in your kids. And it wasn't until I uploaded the episode and I listened to it back again that I realised they were talking about goats. <laughs> as in like a goat, like a Billy Goat Ruff. Um, and I thought, Do you know what? I might get away with it. I might know what someone might... People, they're not going to know. They just won't notice. You know, people won't pay attention to it. And I had quite a few people calling me out on that one. <laughs> but I thought, you know what? It's funny. I don't give a shit. I'm not editing that out. You know, we all make stupid mistakes. We all do. So I'm just going to leave that in there. Um, and talking of the Lunasar episode, I've had quite a few responses as well in about the uh, the corn, the corn dolly making of this time of of year. Because I was saying I'm you know I'm really confused because I associate corn with Maybon and um, and corn seasonally in the United Kingdom doesn't particularly grow as well as it does until, you know, that maybe on harvesting time. So, you know, you look at most of the farmers' cornfields, they, they, they don't even have husks on them or whatnot. I don't, I don't know a corn. I don't know the anatomy of a corn. They're not ready to, you can't, you can't eat, eat corn at the moment. And a few of the responses that I got uh, were things like, oh, is it seasonal differences? Perhaps, you know, was it colder at this time at the end of August? And actually, the corn was ready to be harvested. Some of the response, a really interesting response was about the etymology of corn coming from the word 
um, kern, um, and kern meaning maize, and and kind of um, this, this coming from a Scottish word, so that you could actually. Um, when we're referring to the corn harvest or the kern harvest, we're talking more about the bread harvest as of Lunasar or Lamas. Um, which I think that's a really, really interesting answer, that one. No one's <clears throat> no one's really got a concrete answer of Rowan, this is what it is, but there's lots of suggestions, which I thought was really interesting because I feel that no one has really questioned that before. I have never really questioned it before. And that's what I love about this podcast as well, is that I can put those questions out to you guys and I get responses back. That's what I really love about that interaction. And talking talking of interaction, some fucking good segues today. Excuse my French. That's why we have the uh, the explicit icon. I um I've been very absent from the the cheese witch covens, and I want to uh, want to make sure I'm hopping back in soon. But it was lovely to see that some coven meetups were being arranged between you, which is exactly what I wanted for our little coven. So hopefully, I can set something up quite soon and get to see your faces, your beautiful cheesy faces soon. So for this week's episode, I have been inspired by the most inspirational places in the world, in my opinion, the mountains, and talking of mountains. I do need to give a much deserved shout out to Ouija boards and Midnight Margs, Cheyenne and Shale. The uh, the segue makes sense in my head and my head only and that is because Cheyenne usually sends me a mountain musing um, over one of her morning walks. Uh, so they're receiving a shout out today, not just because they are freaking awesome witches, but because I also appear on the season finale of their podcast. So go check that out. That's Ouija Boards and Midnight Marks. And I'll pop the link to the show in the show notes. If you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can grab those. And we talk about some uh, some weird and unusual witchy practices, witchy, witchy practices of the world. And I explain also what a bajingo is. So I do apologise to all of the women in the world in advance for that conversation. Right, put your bajingo aside. I'm going to break down some of my thoughts around the spiritual pull to the mountains. This episode is a little lighter on the research side of things because I wrote most of this, made all my notes, my thoughts whilst I was in the mountains and as I third did not have any reception on my phone, didn't have any service. So it's more of a a musing of mountains, a flavour of witchy mountainness, a mountain amuse-bouche, which is a stupid French phrase, isn't it? It amuses the mouth. Come on, France, what are you playing out with that phrase? (laughs) Well, without further ado, let me, um, let me amuse your mouth with the mountain. Mountains have played a significant role in the history of humankind, not just because they've been ever-present in our existence, but they've been our shelters from storms and caves. They're a source of water and food. They, um, They offer protection from invading villages. Mountains have the ability to act as physical borders between lands and people, but their ranges help to create stories across the skyline. Tales that can be, um, can be passed down between generations that tell of a people's history. 
Cities can fall over hundreds of years, but the mountains, though, they stay strong. And long before people could write, they would use the mountains like pages of a book, tracing stories out in the shapes that they create. And go to any mountain town and you'll see hordes of people all gathering to be that next person to climb up to the highest peak there. Humankind are still pulled towards the mountains. Despite all our advances technologically, nothing comes as close to the experience of being. Just simply being in the mountains. So what is the draw? What is the pull? What's the tea? Tell me about the mountains. Well, um, we climbed Snowdon, which is the highest peak in Wales. And she's not a giant. You know, at, um, it was 1,085 metres, which makes it a nice enough ascent to feel that you're high up. But it also means a lot of kids can do it. That, that diversity in age and bodies was really great to see. Although, that said, there was a huge freaking queue for the peak. It was huge, you know, and at which point everyone is freezing their tits off to get that cloudy selfie just a few feet higher than they currently are. I was so close, so close to throwing in the towel, but T felt the draw to be the highest person in Wales just for a moment, unless someone was in a plane, but that's cheating. Talking of the range of people doing the walk. Now, um, we walked past this family. Okay, I... I I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it. This isn't even witchy. This has no witchiness. Um, but I have to immortalize this in the podcast so I can return to it in memoriam. So maybe this is quite selfish, but I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And you'll love it. You'll love the story too. So on our ascent, we walked past a family picnicking and they were all in their new gear, their regalia of hiking from head to You could tell it was new. There were like, it wasn't a scuff on anything. It was beautiful. It was brilliant. And they were there with their nine-year-old son who had this like blonde side parting of kind of like quite like a racist politician haircut, if you can imagine it. And he sat there talking about how refreshing the bottle San Pellegrino was when you drink it up in the less toxic air of the mountains. Whilst Bryce, his father, yes, I listened for, out for their names. I did, I did. He unwrapped the Fortnum and Mason snacks from the hamper. It was a sight. It was such a beautiful sight. Uh, this, this vision of upper-class Englishness kept me going up the final third of the mountain as my husband and I created a series of scenarios that Bryce, Jen, and their well-bred son got up to. It was good fun. Now, on our descent coming down, we stumbled upon them again. They were taking the frickin' time. And at this point, it's a little foggy from the clouds. Uh, not too bad, just slightly reduced visibility. And Bryce stands there on top of a rock. I probably should have, like, come up with some fake names for them, but I... I don't have the intelligence to do that right now. So Bryce, he, imagine it, he stood on top of this rock and he's looking down at his wife, Jen, who he can clearly, she can clearly see him. Like, they're metres away. And he looks at her and he goes, Jen, follow the hoot. (laughs) Now, if that wasn't enough for you, the hoot, by the way, he then proceeded, Jen, follow the hoot, with hoot, and did a hoot. No, I nearly pissed myself. What was he expecting? Like, what was he hoping to achieve? Does Jen echolocate? 
I don't know what's going on here. It was too much for me. So I spent the rest of the descent repeating, follow the hoot, until I even I was sick of it. So anyway, okay, let's move on. I, need, I needed to tell you all that story. Let's get witchy and talk about the sunrise and the sunset on the mountains. I know you came from mountains, don't complain. I swear it all fits together. I feel that there is a real classic image when it comes to the mountains, the image of the light falling and rising between the clouds um, or dipping behind the horizon line. And when we lived in Taiwan, which is a really freaking mountainous country, uh, there was a very popular mountain called Alisan. And it was it was an absolutely gorgeous mountain range filled with such ancient mysticism. And one of the main reasons why you would go there would be to watch the sunrise over the mountains. And you get a train up at the crack of dawn, which is gross. I'm not a morning person. And then you'd hike up the last section to watch it rise. I remember maybe four or five times and probably only saw a good sunrise once, perhaps. Um, but isn't that fascinating that humans have this need, this want to be up high to watch the sunrise? And, and it was packed. It was packed, absolutely packed out with people. And it's such a mundane thing when you think about it, isn't it? The sun rises every day and it sets every day. So why go out of your way to climb up a mountain to see this phenomena that occurs every freaking day? We, we disconnect ourselves so much from the world when we become modern humans. And I guess we forget to see it. And I think that's what's quite nice about the witchy community, as I can see that we are those people who try to reconnect to these sorts of things. And the sun, it sets in the background of our lives like the sound of cars driving on the roads outside. They become insignificantly present. Watching a sunrise is a very present moment of existing. You become this small thing in the way of a gigantic celestial body that will never stop no matter how much you ask it to. No matter how high the mountains are, they're never high enough that the sun can't rise above them. And that's kind of freaking cool, right? From a witchy perspective, I think the sun carries with it the power of the possible, the energy of renewal and rebirth. The sun rises on a new day full of new possibilities. And a lot in the witchcraft community gets talked about the moons waxing and waning with regards to letting go or starting a new project. And I think the same is true of solar energy. At a sunset, you can think about goals that you are hoping to manifest. And with the sun, you can supercharge them for 24 hours. Small, achievable goals. Perhaps uh, there's been something shitty in your day. Go watch the sunset and imagine turning out the light on all the difficulties of the day. Send them away with the sun. Sayonara, motherfucker. <laughs> now, mountains, they've, they've always had a call and a draw to me. Um, there's what there's a, a phrase that I always use when it comes to mountains. I say they fill me up, and I I I talk of you know wanting to go back out to the mountains to be filled back up again. And I do feel that I feel topped up with mountains, and I, they they give me an energy that I can feel slowly um, dissipating over time when I'm not there. And I don't really get that sensation anywhere else when. I'm atop a mountain. You know, that phrase, the mountains are calling and I must go. I love that. There's, there's something else that goes with the quote and I'm not super sure. Something like, I must work diligently or study 
Either way, it was like something that wasn't good enough to remember. But it's interesting that others have that same draw, that pull. It's like a call almost. The mountains are are asking you to come back, to be restored. The mountains have always had this pure restorative and spiritual energy and not just to me, but humankind. Religious texts, um, they, you know, they constantly talk of pilgrimages across mountains. People isolate themselves within the great silence it offers to find something within themselves. Many monasteries are found within the mountains. Olympia was atop Mount Olympus. Chinese Buddhism and Taoism have set peaks they designate as spiritually significant. You know, is it the is it the association that they are closer to the skies, which means for some, it's closer to the heavens? Is it the altitude that affects the way our brains work, leading to greater spiritual or even perceived spiritual awakening? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have any of the answers today. Just questions. I always I always feel really tight as well on the mountains that are next to the biggest mountain in a region. They're like the less attractive sibling at a party. Like you're looking on as no one hangs out with them. I you know, I have climbed some of those before just because I felt sad for them, which is the most ridiculous thing in the world to anthropomorphize a mountain in that way. But I do. Um, I do kind of think that there there are emotions and feelings that come with the mountains. And I think maybe um, we, should, we should cover that. Let's get into that. So in the, in the Fae episode, I covered the elementals and I sort of touched on the fact that I can somewhat resonate with the notion of the elements carrying with them an energy that we can perceive. And I think the mountains are a place where we see many of those elements coming together. The mighty earth beneath our feet the air rushing across the valley, the water trickling down the trail, and the fires, both man-made, and unfortunately, in many recent cases as well, wildfires too. Now, calling the quarters at home, for me, I can feel, it can feel really abstract, and uh, sometimes I'm actually utilising items to, to feel that I'm bringing the quarters into my space. But in the mountains... You have the rocks that filter the waters. The wind carries the pollens. Fires can even help enrich soils for growth. But in the mountains, the elements, they all rely on one another, each in harmony as well. The river rocks filter the waters. The wind carries the pollens. Fires can even help enrich soils for growth. Our lives at the mountain's feet create imbalance and artificiality. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm a basic witch who Googles the release date of Pumpkin Spice, which is really annoying because it was released today in the USA, and we have not got it yet in the UK. And on that note, someone, a friend on Instagram, a friend of the show on Instagram, sent through some pictures of pumpkin ale, pumpkin beer, which I've never come across in my life in the UK. So UK listeners... UK witches, this is a call to UK witches. If you know where I can get pumpkin beer, please tell me. It's important. Um, I you know, What I was really trying to say there was, you know, I'm fully aware that I live within this wheel of capitalism. I'm aware that I am the one helping to spin the wheel, but I can't get off it. And I was talking to my husband when I was on the holiday about how strange is it that as humans, we look at the land and we section it off and we call that property. 
We have taken something that isn't really ours and we made commerce out of it. We can pull rocks out of the earth and sell it to someone. I've even seen those stupid things where you can buy a section of the moon. I'm sorry if you've bought a section of the moon. I think I might have had a section of the moon bought for me. Like, what the fuck? You know, no one really owns any part of the earth. And it's so painfully human of us to think that is the case. I think that's why we strive for sunsets and mountains, because it reminds us of the insignificance and impermeance. I think humankind spent a lot of time trying to claim and make to exist past their own death. We pass land onto our children in the form of houses so that ourselves exist on forever. It's part of the human condition to be forever, to live eternal, to never be forgotten. And that's the problem with being human. We will one day no longer exist. There must be this innate biological function, the same one that tells us to reproduce, that says maintain your bloodline. But we're so overpopulated. We don't need to do that at all, right? So what do we do instead? We document our lives in photographs, post them to others on the internet. So we are seen and seen to exist. We strive to be the pinnacle in our jobs, to receive recognition, validation, to be told that we exist and our existence means something. The mountains, though, they exist and they don't need the validation or the recognition. There are times when a cliff edge just crumbles to boulders, then to rocks, pebbles, and as people walk over it year after year, dust. And no one mourns the mountains. We are not mightier than the mountains. Okay, this is a very different kind of episode. This is a very reflective episode today. So sorry if you're all hating on this. I'm kind of liking this. This is a nice little fireside chat. There's no fire here, but it feels like a fireside chat. There are just a lot of um, introspective thoughts. I'm just feeling some thoughts. I'm just feeling my emotions, okay? I think a lot of what I'm saying does come across incredibly nihilistic. But I want you to try and flip that around. My existence is temporary, so what is holding me back from existing to my fullest? And I think so many people exist for others, for their validations. You know, they exist for their spouses, their parents, their children. But they rarely exist for themselves. And some, in fact, actually have the opposite. They live a very overly self-indulgent lifestyle, whereas the mountains, they exist and they give back their refuge for life, but they also don't dominate. Be more mountain. And I think that is going to be what I take back from my time away in Wales. Be more mountain. Okay, let's talk more witchy things. The uh, The first obvious thing that comes to mind in the mountains is communing with those elements and trying to connect and attune yourself to what is around you. Um, that might mean some kind of grounding activity. And um, you often hear that simple grounding activity of taking your shoes off, walking barefoot, um, you know, thinking about your feet growing roots, those sorts of things. But I think, you know... <laughs> That can sometimes feel there's a lot of visualization involved in that. And I think even just being observant and mindful of what I see around me, that helps. I ask myself, what do I see? What's growing? Why is it growing? How well is it growing? Why is it growing so well? If it's safe and responsible to do so, put my hand on on something as well, placing a hand on it and just closing my eyes and really trying to connect that feeling of oneness with something. 
Tote Circle of Life vibes right here. And it's the tea, though. It's the tea. Mufasa is talking some straight-up hot tea. I remember that slapping real hard when I was younger. You know, Mufasa and Simba, Circle of Life, Lion King, all that. If you haven't seen it, I don't know how you haven't seen it. Um... And he talks of eating the antelope and then the antelope eating the lion once the lion becomes grass. And the lion isn't mightier than the antelope because he is more ferocious. We too will one day become food for the earth. Our bodies water, return to the rain as well. Now, how funny is it that nature created us so that we could be food, sustenance and nutrition for others. And we, the people of the earth, we embalm ourselves and put ourselves in a box. Again, it goes back to not wanting to live forever. Um, that, that fear, that not wanting to live forever. No, the fear of not living forever. Uh, and you're wanting to deny death. And I'm really sorry, this is the most bleakest motherfucking episode you've ever received in all your life. I'm... I'm going to get messages on Instagram and be like, you okay, home? And honestly, I'm fine. I'm fine. No, I'm really, I'm fine. Honestly, I'm fine. Um, I kind of want to see this as like something that's quite uplifting, but I'm not sure it's coming out that way. Um, like when I connect to nature, I feel that I am connecting to a long line of ancestry just through the trees, rocks, soil and rain. Like I said, that, that whole circle of life business, the rocks of the mountains have probably been walked on by my ancestors and so too their ancestors. And so an act like taking my shoes off, I can connect back to that energy and that cycle of existence. Preserving ourselves doesn't ensure our history, but being part of the world as we are now really does. So that's kind of thinking about the earth. I, I think um, another one that I've, I think I've had this one over on the Cheese Witch Coven. So you know, shout out when you, um, when, when you're listening to this, who, who said this was um, screaming into the wind quite like that one. Just like screaming into the wind and just screaming all the agony out into the wind. I thought that was really interesting. Like thinking of the wind as this ferocious and strong force that can carry anger and can carry it away. Really liked that. Um, Witch Bitch Amateur Hour. Um, I heard Charlie talking about I'm pretty sure it's Witch Bitch Amateur Hour. Uh, sorry if I'm giving the wrong shout outs here. Talking about um, wind cleansing. <laughs> That doesn't mean, like, let's not even go into fart jokes. Um, standing out um, in the wind and just imagining all that negativity just being blown away from your body. Really, really like that in terms of engaging with that in nature. I thought that was quite a nice one. Um, other things, you know, kind of going back to more earthy things, I guess. You could use the mountain, your your mountain trip to forage as part of witchy activities, which I'm sure some witches out there are wincing at. And me too. Do you know what? Me too. This was something that I've been becoming more mindful of. Uh, so I want to be really careful with what I say. Uh, you need to know what you're taking, not just because of poisons, but also the effects that it can have on the delicate ecosystem and eco-balance of the mountains. I think collecting rocks for runes are absolutely amazing. But if everyone did it, we'd be out of rocks. Not only that, taking or moving rocks can have a it can have a real adverse effect on that carefully balanced ecosystem as mentioned. You know, exposing soils to wind, which can lead to them drying it out. It exposes bugs. Yada yada yada. Dot dot dot. Leads to forest fires. All doomed. Leave the rocks. Uh, that's why making things like cairns, for example, can be a real no-no for nature, which I didn't know. I googled that recently because it's like, what the frick's up with a cairn? Why do people hate them? Um, so if you've assessed the risks, risks and feel sure that it's something you can take, um, 
only ever take what you need and will use. This is something that I'm getting so much better at as well. For a long time, I used to see nature as something that was so abundantly giving and I would use it to stock up like a freaking supermarket. And that just means there's less for others. This means there's less, you know, when I say others, I'm also talking bees as well. You know, I sometimes think about um, the hawthorn blossoms. You know, that hawthorn blossom is something that's going to then turn into a berry. Um, and if I'm taking all of the blossom, then they can't become berries, um, which also is sustenance and food for the birds, but also the bees are then affected. So I should be really mindful about if I'm taking this, I'm using it for a purpose. I'm not just stocking up an apothecary. Um, oh, look at me on my freaking podium. Is that the word? Soapbox. This is, am I being a bit too soapboxing this episode? I apologize if I am. Um, but, but that was me. That I was, I was someone who just, you know, really stocked up and I'm, I'm being really more mindful now. Um, which sometimes can bite me in the freaking ass because there are times when I'm like, oh, bugger, I really needed that down the line. And I didn't, I didn't collect it because I couldn't see a purpose for it at that time. So collect with purpose and give back where you can as well. I think the best possible thing to do is to take things that have the ability to grow back. Or it might be even questioning to yourself, do I even take it at all? Do I even take it at all? I mean, um, you know, I mentioned about calling the quarters out in the mountains and perhaps you can work with those items in their natural habitat where it will grow and become part of the mountains. This podcast right now has become like, it's like season of the sustainable witch. <laughs> Don't forget to stay bitchy, thrifty, sustainable, Sustainable and unexplainable. There we go. That's when you catchphrase. That's when you catchphrase. And I might change it. Um, mountains offer up um, as well quite an interesting, diverse array of magical items. And I am very mindful that saying mountains is like really obtuse. Lower down in some mountains, you might have lush items that could be foraged or worked with, like mushrooms and moss. Whereas higher up, you might be relying on the hardy alpinist items that can withstand strong winds and snow. You could sit there with a correspondence book and you can try and figure everything out for the specific purpose, but it might be as simple as looking at its purpose. There were, um, for example, uh, there was a fallen hawthorn by the Fairy Glen that I collected in Wales about four years back and I foraged a small branch from it. It was all, it's like twisted and gnarled from the winds. And I was absolutely in love with it. I sanded it down and I use it as a wand for a lot of protection magic. It's a, it's my go-to wand when I need something that's a little bit more pointed, aggressive, hardy, and with a little bit of like a fuck you energy. And I get that vibe from its thorns and its, uh, its gnarled shapes from withstanding those winds. Besides the kind of thorny protective energy that it's used sometimes, the hawthorn's used as like a hedge um, to protect the home. It's also very protective and nurturing in the sense that it offers late wintering berries as well for birds. So I feel that kind of feeds into some of my understanding of it as well. And none of this has come from a correspondence book. You know, this is just getting to know the hawthorn plant. So get the vibe from the plant. You can do this with other things too, like... um. Let me think of an example, like a river rock, okay? So not a plant now, a river rock. These these offer filtration to remove impurities from the waters to make it more drinkable. They also offer um, shape to the water's course. Maybe, maybe I'm looking to remove something difficult in my life and I want to change the flow and path of something. Coming back from my mountain getaway, one of the things that was like really abundant there was the heather. 
and you know, ev- everywhere was just filled with this beautiful purple heather, really deep, gorgeous purple. Um, heather is, it's an evergreen shrub that can grow through rocks, finding water in the strangest of places. And I find that kind of hardiness mixed with the beauty of its purple flowers is a really nice dichotomy that makes me consider magical workings that require more of a work through it vibe. The kind of long-standing magic that isn't a quick fix spell, something you want to kind of persevere with. Perhaps there's a difficult situation that needs to be weathered and there doesn't seem to be an obvious solution out. The energy of Heather can help me tap into a source where I can flourish, but it might take time. Whereas, you know, look at a correspondence list and you'll get something completely different. Heather is is there to represent passion, um, love, I think all, like there was, um, I remember reading a while back, communing with spirits maybe, or fae. Um, I think that's with like the white heather. But I don't really get a lot of that vibe, but my personal impression don't get that vibe from it. I think correspondences and correspondence books have really fudged up a lot of witches in the community who feel that they need all the ingredients to make something work. Plants have different energies and different purposes. I feel that creating magic can be more of a stew than a cake. Okay, like, so like something can make, um, something can make a stew really pop, um, whereas some things will be maybe more bland, but it's always going to be a bloody stew, isn't it? Whereas miss out the eggs in your cake and it's just not going to stick. Miss out the rising agent and you, you know, you got a biscuit. Um, you're making a stew, not a cake. I like that. I'm going to try and remind myself of that one a little bit more often because I think that's something I can get lost in. I'm making a stew. Hence the cauldron. Okay, what about magic? Magic? Sometimes sometimes the mouth just gives up. What about um, mountain legends? That's what I wanted to talk about next. Um, Yeah, we're kind of talking about Faye again. Um, We're not going to go back to another Faye now even though I kind of want to. Uh, The mountains come with hordes of legends around what may or may not be living within them. I think probably the most famous of all of them um, are the old faithful Sasquatch, the Yachty, Bigfoot, the abominable snowman. I think it's kind of cool that all the way across the world we have sightings of this huge bipedal creature that lives within the mountains. And I kind of believe that something like it does exist. I don't think it's completely absurd that something has learned to live hidden in the mountains for like thousands and thousands of years, surviving the ice age in the depths of hidden caves and things like that. Okay, so I sound a little nuts. Maybe I am. And if we were playing Faye or Nay, I don't know, we're not. But if we were, I would totally give the Sasquatch a Faye. Mostly due to the amount of sightings that you get when it comes to the sassy Sasquatch. Could it be that fine mountain air making people see things? Perhaps. But people have found prints. I know you can probably like fudge a print and whatnot, but, um, and the most notable actually coming all the way back in 19, what's my notes? 1958, yes. Which sort of like spurred on this myth and folklore of the Bigfoot originating from loggers in Northern California. Now you can find things about wild men before that, if you're to look back, mostly the abominable snowman in the Himalayas, I think. Um, But this really was the inception of the Bigfoot and it came from those prints. Hence his lovely name. Like, imagine how shady it is if you, there's just this dude and he's just gone to go live his fantasy of living some secluded mountain life where 
people weren't going to ask him about his size 85 shoes and instead he could live a life of sweet ass isolation in the mountains. <laughs> what is so cool about the mountains is that wherever you go, though, there are myths and legends attached to the mountains. Uh, whether that's a yeti, a panther that stalks the woods, fairies that, you know, search for... I don't know, whatever fa- fairy dust, I don't know. I don't know what the fairy search for. Even down to the structure of the mountains themselves. You know, I'm thinking um, Cadea Hydrus, I think is the name of it. I'm sorry to all the Welsh people in the world. Anyway, in Wales, which is said to be the, the seat of a giant. Um, the island of Tafiti in Moana, um, which I know doesn't count as a real example, but I swear I read somewhere that it's based on like an actual Polynesian island. School me if I'm wrong on that. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from the mountains as a mode of storytelling. It goes back to what I was kind of saying a little bit earlier in the episode, is that these these tales get passed down um, talking about those lines. And often sometimes those lines that differentiate towns. And that's a way of pointing them out to ancestors. I like that. I think that's kind of cool. As always with this podcast, I'm here to ask that question, why and not what? Like my son, why this? Why this? Why? He asks why too much and this must be where he bloody gets it from. I think we all know what is sacred and spiritual about the mountain, but the why is perhaps harder to find. In near every religion and spiritual belief system, we can agree that mountains hold mysticism and spiritual significance. Whether that is where divine inspiration is found, contact with the gods are made, or rituals are enacted, but no one really stops to think of the why, except me. I think of it too much. And I think that's I think that's what I have tried to ruminate on in today's episode. I think a lot of it comes down to the bringing together of elements, but also the history that it carries. For me, I love to look out at the moon and think about the fact that it was the same moon that my ancestors looked upon. Perhaps thinking the same thing while spilling some tea about, I don't know, like the villager who dared to wear those orange cottons with beige. What a medieval faux pas. But the mountains hold the same connection to history. The trail is like veins, tracing out our history, our lineage, our human need to connect to something that is more than us. And being in those mountains reminded me that I am more than me. This legit sounds like I'm going to start singing I'm Every Woman. Is anyone else getting that vibe? I swear. If this was a musical, that would be where this was going. And I think that is the kind of vibe. So whatever you want... Whatever you need, anything you want done, baby, I'll do it naturally. Okay, let's just end this segment here before it gets awful. <laughs> right, and there we have it. Be more mountain. Make stew, not cake. Uh, that's what I got out of this episode. I kind of liked having something a little less factorful and something a bit more ponderful. <laughs> there was some good tea to be spilled too. Don't feel like you have to always forage and collect. Is it possible to work in the landscape instead? Mm, nice. And don't panic so much about correspondence books and work with what you feel. If you want to continue any of the conversations about mountains, big feet, magic stews, you can get in touch over at SOTW with Rowan on Instagram, Facebook, 
That's kind of it. That's it. Those two. Just do those two. If you want to show your support for the show, then shower me with all your money. Only joking. You can leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts, where our latest has come from Morrigan of the Midwest. Oh, nice, nice, nice. I love the name. Never stop being you, it says. I've tried and it was difficult. So I'm, I'm glad I don't have to try stopping being me anymore. Thank you. Um, My daughter and I absolutely love you. Thanks. If you're the Bob Ross of Hocus Pocus, then I guess I'm the Wicked Witch of the Midwest. And then like a little hug emoji and heart. I love that. I love that. Bob Ross of Hocus Pocus. Do you know what? That has become a thing now. That's become a thing. That came from a listener, a listener of the show. And it just totally stuck. Mostly because I snatched it and started using it at the end of every episode. But, you know, that's that's neither here nor there. Right. You've been listening to Season of the Witch with Rowan Oaken, the Bob Ross of Hocus Pocus. Until next time, don't forget to stay witchy, bitchy, sassy, and classy. Or bitchy, thrifty, sustainable, and what was it? Unexplainable. Ah! Jen, follow the hoot. Ooh. <laughs>